0: Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Shalom Kaysen Show. Today we are answering the question, what is canonization? And canonization is a papal declaration that the Catholic faithful may venerate a particular deceased member of the church. So that is canonization in short, and we're going to go into it in much more detail with this show. Okay, so... Popes began making such decrees in the 10th century. So that was about the year 900. Up to that point, the local bishops governed the veneration of holy men and women within their own dioceses. And there may have been for any particular saint, no formal decree at all. So there were saints that people just venerated just because they thought they were holy. It wasn't really formalized until later. In subsequent centuries, the procedures became increasingly regularized and the popes began restricting to themselves the right to declare someone as a Catholic saint. So in the beginning, it was more open. People just like the apostles, they're just considered saints because everybody knew they were apostles of Jesus. They were disciples of Jesus. Uh, people who were killed for the faith, they were considered saints like pretty much right away, just because people knew like, okay, they stood, they stayed faithful. And then bishops, started saying, okay, you can't just worship. You can't just not worship. Worship's the wrong word. (laughs) Venerate is a word we reserve worship for uh, Jesus Christ, the Holy Trinity. And I want to make a video about that, about the different types of worshiping or the theology of it in Catholicism, but that's for another time. But to venerate, it's just like, Just like when you put a picture of somebody up in your house that has passed away and you say that person is a great person. Or you put a picture up of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. or the president or something like that. uh, That is basically what veneration means. And I can look up a, let's actually look up and define veneration really quick. So veneration means great respect or reverence. So it's just honoring someone who has who is alive or dead? But for saints, it's be considering to honor someone who is dead and considered in heaven. So at first it was goosey goosey. Hey, this person is gonna be, uh, this person is a saint because we all knew that person or we saw that person get get murdered and they stayed faithful, something like that. And then later on, it became bishops only were allowed to do it, and later on, even later on. Around the year 900, then it was only popes who could do it. And that's where that's the point we're at currently in history. So, in contemporary usage, the term is understood to refer to the act by which any Christian church declares that a person who has died is a saint, upon which declaration the person is included in the list of recognized saints called the canon. And we use the canon sometimes at the Mass or um, we use it to know what day of the month this person can be kind of sell you can celebrate their life on this particular day of the month. All right. So let's talk about the historical development. The Roman Rites canon of the Mass contains only the names of martyrs, along with that of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and since 1962, that of Saint Joseph, her spouse. So uh, the Roman, the Roman Rite is the Latin. Form of Catholicism. There's also Eastern rites in Catholicism. I believe there's 20 something rites in all. And a rite is just the way that a church celebrates their liturgy. So the Roman rite actually has two forms we have the uh, traditional form, which they call extraordinary, and we have the ordinary form. The extraordinary form is in Latin only, and then they just translate the readings into English before the sermon and the ordinary form is all in the vernacular which is usually english but in any country it you know it could be different vernaculars in germany it's going to be german in france it's going to be french so there are actually 20 something other rites of with different languages different ways that they celebrate some people uh, different vestments, they wear different clothes, the altar is set up in a different way. So the Catholic Church is really universal, and there's all kinds of ways that people celebrate the liturgy. So moving on, um, in the Roman Rite, uh, they only say the names of saints who were martyrs, who who were killed for the faith, other than the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph. Of course, we know why, because they are much more important than other saints. So by the fourth century, confessors uh, were people who had confessed their faith but didn't die, began to be venerated publicly. So people you know, began saying, hey, these people are great. We should look up to them and we should honor them. So examples of such people are St. Hilarion and St. Ephraim the Syrian in the east and St. Martin of Tours and St. Hilary of Poitiers in the west. So all these people didn't die for the faith, but people were still venerating them. They were still um, honoring them as important saints. Their names were inserted in the diptychs, the list of saints explicitly venerated in the liturgy, and their tombs were honored in like manners as those of the martyrs. Since the witness of their lives was not as unequivocal as that of the martyrs, they were venerated publicly only with approval of the local bishop. So this is when we start getting into where the bishops are kind of taking control. They don't want people just um, venerating anybody, just saying, Oh, that this person is is worthy to be remembered and to have celebrations about them in the church. No, 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 we can't do that. So the bishop stepped in and said, We need to make sure that these people are really holy before we just start venerating them, before we, you know, start honoring them, and maybe some weird stuff comes out later. So I think that was a good move. So this process is often referred to as local canonization. Local canonization is when a bishop canonizes someone. This approval was required even for veneration of a reputed martyr. In his history of the Donatist heresy, and uh, in church history, I will be getting to the Donatist heresy very soon, but in short, the Donatist was a heresy leading to schism in the church of Carthage from the 4th century to the 6th centuries AD. Donatus argued that Christian clergy must be faultless for their ministry to be effective, and their prayers and sacraments to be valid. Long story short, the Donatists lost, and it is not dependent on the priest to be able to bless people, if, if the priest is holy or not. It's dependent upon God, and God only. Even if the priest is evil, he can still bless, because it's actually the power of God blessing, not the priest himself. So um, in in his history of the Donatist heresy, St. O. Optatus recounts that at Carthage, a Catholic matron named Lucilla incurred the censures of the church for having kissed the relics of a reputed martyr whose claims to martyrdom had not been juridically approved. And a relic is just um, usually consists of physical remains of a saint or the personal effects of a saint, like their clothes or something. So St. Cyprian recommended that the utmost diligence be observed in investigating the claims of those who were said to have died for the faith all the circumstances accompanying the martyrdom were to be inquired into. The faith of those who suffered and the motives that animated them were to be rigor- rigorously examined in order to prevent the recognition of undeserving persons. Evidence was sought from the court records of the trials or from people who had been present at the trials. So basically, it was around this time, uh, around the time of the Donatist Heresy, that people actually started looking into the lives of people who were considered to be saints and trying to figure out if, you know, are they actually saints or is it, you know, is it just some funny business basically. Okay. So let's move on. Augustine of Hippo tells of the procedure which was followed in his day for the recognition of a martyr. The bishop of the diocese in which the martyrdom took place set up a canonical process for conducting the inquiry with the utmost severity. The acts of the process were sent either to the metropolitan or primate. And a metropolitan um, is a bishop who um, is in charge of a whole diocese. It could be called an archbishop, and a primate is a title or rank bestowed on some important archbishop in certain Christian churches. So uh, metropolitan is higher than a bishop, but they're still a bishop. And a primate is even higher than a bishop, but they're still a bishop. It's a little bit confusing, but it's basically like a title on top of a title. So the metropolitan or the primate carefully examined the cause and after consultation with the suffragan bishops, declared whether the deceased was worthy of the name of martyr for public veneration okay so, though not though not canonizations in the narrow sense acts of formal recognition such as the erection of an altar over the saint's tomb or transforming the saint's transferring the saint's relics to a, to a church were preceded by formal inquiries into the sanctity of the person's life and the miracles attributed to that person's intercession so we have formal recognition which allows some bo- someone to be venerated uh to be honored but they might not be a saint yet. So for example, if the person was known to do many miracles during their lives, then they can actually be formally recognized without being canonized. So they're allowed to be venerated even though technically they're not a saint. So the technicality is really for the liturgy and for public universal um, veneration. So in the liturgy, you cannot have, for example, a church named after someone, or you cannot have a mass for for someone if they're not fully canonized as a saint. You can't um, pray, like say that you want to pray with them or anything like that to get help with their prayers. You can't do anything like that as a Catholic because if they're not canonized yet, because you just can't be sure. Uh, And that's universally, but there are local saints and there are local canonizations, formal recognitions that are okay for that local area, but not okay for the entire church. So really the canonization process is about the universal church, the whole church, and that's why it's important. So let's move on. Such acts of recognition of a saint were authoritative in the strict sense only for the diocese or the ecclesiastical province, so for a small area for which they were issued, but with the spread of the fame of a saint were often accepted elsewhere also. So what tends to happen is a saint will locally be recognized, and then as that person becomes more and more famous, then then they will just be recognized in more and more dioceses and more and more churches, and then sometimes they just become a, you know, worldwide saint. So... Nature. In the Catholic Church, both Latin and constituent Eastern churches, the act of canonization is reserved to the Apostolic See, which is the Episcopal See whose foundation, um, the Apostolic See is basically Rome. And occurs at the conclusion of a long process requiring extensive proof that the candidate for canonization lived and died in such an exemplary and holy way that they are worthy to be recognized as a saint. The church's official recognition of sanctity implies that the person is now in heaven and that they may be publicly invoked and mentioned officially in the liturgy of the church, including in the litany of the saints. So the canonization process is mostly about official um. Uh, public veneration. Okay, it's not really to say, oh, this person was so holy. We need to we need to determine everyone who was holy. I mean, your grandma might have been holy, your mom, your dad, whoever you know, anyone who might have passed away, they could be holy and in heaven with Jesus, having a great old time right now. But the church doesn't make a determination on everyone who's died if they're a saint or not. The church only makes a determination if that person's life was just so exemplary, so above and beyond, that they would be a good example and they would be good for people to uh, venerate in the liturgy or in their prayers or something like that. So that's the main point. In the Catholic Church, canonization is a decree that allows universal veneration of the saint in the liturgy. For permission to venerate merely locally, only beatification is needed, and we're going to talk about that much more. So the procedure prior to um, the current one was a lot more loose. So for several centuries, bishops or in some places only primates and patriarchs could grant martyrs and confessors public ecclesiastical honor. So it was only the bishops for a long time. But um, then the pope always had to say, hey, this person can be worshipped, not worshipped. I keep using the wrong word. This person can be venerated universally. Boom, they can be venerated universally um, throughout the whole church. It was only the Pope who could say that. So then it started to get into where the Pope just said, "You know what? It's just going to be just me. I'm going to want that. I'm going to be the one that's going to decide who will be canon, canonized." All right. So in in the beginning, it was just bishops only, and then it became the Pope later on. So I'm not going to go much into that. I want to talk mostly about the method that we use right now. So the methods change throughout the years, but now uh, let's talk about what we actually do right now to canonize saints. So the Apostolic Constitution Divinis Perfectionis Magister of Pope Paul. Sorry, he's actually a saint now. Pope Saint John John Paul II. Uh, in 1983 and the norms issued by the congregation for the causes of saints which is basically the body that determines if somebody's going to be a saint or not uh, decided to implement the constitution in dioceses uh continue the simplification of the process initiated by Pope Paul VI so basically they wanted to make canonization simpler and hey I'm I'm not against that contrary to popular belief the reforms did not eliminate the office of the promoter of the faith which is pop popularly known as the devil's advocate. And the devil's advocate is the person who says, hey, this person shouldn't be a saint because I found this letter over here, this letter they wrote to somebody, which was very mean. They can't be a saint now. So the devil's advocate's whole goal was to make sure that that person didn't become a saint. And if the devil's advocate can't convince the congregation for the causes, then the person will be able to become a saint. So basically it was Kind of a defense against people just shoving people through without anyone to say, hey, 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 hold on. You know, we need to look at everything. So it's kind of like a a defense lawyer or um, in the opposite way, kind of, it's kind of like a court and you have two lawyers fighting for the same. It's pretty interesting. Uh, The reforms were intended to reduce the adversarial nature of the process. In November of 2012, Pope Benedict XVI appointed Monsignor Carmelo Pellegrino as promoter. Of the faith. So now let's talk about the process. So candidates for canonization undergo the following process Servant of God, also known as Service Day. The process of canonization commences at the diocesan level, which is the local level. Uh, We have a diocese where I live, the Diocese of Richmond. It is just this area in Virginia. Okay. So the bishop. Uh, With jurisdiction, usually the bishop of the place where the candidate died or is buried, although another ordinary can be given this authority, gives permission to open an investigation into the virtues of the individual in response to a petition of members of the faithful, either actually or pro forma. So pro pro forma means that um, it was a courtesy. Uh, This investigation usually commences no sooner than five years after the death of the person being investigated. And in my other videos, I actually made a mistake. And I'm going to admit it. I make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes, right? I was saying that we need more Black Americans to be canonized. And I said that the Pope should get on that. And I was wrong, because I didn't know the whole canonization process. Um, I would love to be able to look up to, and to be able to venerate some black American saints, right? To, you know, recognize them and, and have it to be able to be in the liturgy. Churches can be named after them. All cool things, right? And I'm upset that there's not more. Really, there's not any. Uh, if Yeah, there's not any. The pers- There are a few people who are close. Venerable Father Augustus Tolton, who I did a video about the other day, venerable Mother Mary Lange. I believe she's venerable or she might be servant of God. So there's a few people who are close, but nobody's there yet. And I was like, hey, the Pope needs to get on that. Actually, it's not the Pope's, he can't just canonize somebody willy-nilly. It You have to start with this step. Somebody has to put the person up and then they have to find evidence and they have to look through the evidence. And then after they decide on that, then, then the person has to do two miracles. We're going to get more into that. But I just wanted to quickly do an aside and explain how I was mistaken. And the people that really need to get on it are the people who in the dioceses of these, these saintly Black Americans who have died and did great things. They need to start this process of a servant of God, write letters to the bishop, get signatures, and say, hey, I want this person on the list to become a servant of God. Once they become venerable and other things, and I'll talk about the next steps you can do there. But let's continue on with this. I don't wanna to get too far into the weeds on that, but I did wanna admit that I made a mistake. Okay, so um, the Pope, qua uh, the Bishop of Rome may also open a process and has the authority to waive the waiting period of five years, as was done for St. Teresa of Calcutta, also known as uh, Mother Teresa. And, uh, For Lucia Santos, uh, who was, let's see, Lucia Santos was Lucia Fatima, so she is also canonized early because the Pope can waive the five years. For uh, Pope John Paul II, five-year waiting period was waived by Pope Benedict XVI. So normally, an association to promote the cause of the candidate is instituted, an exhaustive search of the candidate's writings, speeches, and sermons is undertaken, a detailed biography is written, and eyewitness accounts are collected. When sufficient evidence has been collected, the local bishop presents the investigation of the candidate, who is titled Servant of God, which means which is service day in Latin. They present that to the Congregation for the Causes of Saints of Uh, where the cause is assigned a postulator, and that is just someone who guides the cause for beatification, so it's almost like a case manager. And the postulator's office is to collect further evidence of the life of the servant of God. Religious orders that regularly deal with the congregation often designate their own postulator general. At some time, permission is then granted for the body of the servant of God to be exhumed and examined. A certification non-cultist is made that no superstitious or heretical worship, or improper cult of the servant of God, or his or her tomb has emerged and relics are taken and preserved. So it's very important in in the process of canonization to know that no cults have arisen, no worship of the person, no superstitions. That is going to um, disqualify them for becoming a saint because the whole purpose is void strange things like this the church to canonize people is so that they can be remembered so that they can be looked up to and you can become holier based on that we can talk about them in our liturgy name churches after them things like that to remember them in a way that is going to make us even holier based on what they did when it goes into superstition or worship or something like that that person cannot be considered a saint because It's just, it goes against what the Catholic Church believes is that worship belongs to the Holy Trinity and that's it. No one else can be worshiped. Worship is for God, but we can honor other people. And that's what the uh, canonization is about. It's about honoring and remembering those saints and hopefully becoming holier based on what they did. All right, so let's talk about the next step, which is venerable. Uh, Venerabilis or heroic virtue. When sufficient evidence has been collected, the congregation recommends to the Pope that he proclaim the heroic virtue of the servant of God. That is, that the servant of God exercised to a heroic degree the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, and the cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. From this time, the one said to be heroic in virtue is entitled venerable, or in Latin, venerabilis. A venerable does not yet have a feast day, and a feast day is just a day on the calendar where people are generally accepted to remember and um, to honor that person. So they also are not not allowed to erect churches in the honor of a venerable, and the church does not yet issue a statement. On their probable or certain presence in heaven. But prayer cards and other materials may be printed to encourage the faithful to pray for a miracle wrought by his or her intercession as a sign of God's will that the person be canonized. So, right now we view, <coughs> excuse me, two um, venerables like Father Augustus Tolton, and they have prayer cards for him. If Father Augustus Tolton can get two miracles attributed to him, usually there are medical miracles of some sort, somebody is miraculously healed, then he will be able to become a fully canonized saint and he could potentially be the first black uh, saint from America. That would be really cool. I'm actually not doing my part. I don't have his prayer cards and I'm not praying that he can you know, heal someone and have miracles. So yeah, uh, I should start doing that. And I said, I want something done. And I said, oh, the Pope needs to do it. That's not true. It's up to us. It's up to the laity to do our job as well. Let's talk about blessed. Okay, beatus or beata. Uh, beatification is a statement of the church that it is worthy of belief that the venerable is in heaven and saved. Attaining this grade depends on whether the venerable is a martyr. For a martyr, the Pope has only to make a declaration of martyrdom, which is a certification that the Venerable gave his or her life voluntarily as a witness of the faith or in an act of heroic charity for others. For a non-martyr, all of them being denominated confessors because they confessed, or confession means to bear witness to the faith by how they lived, uh, they need to have proof of the occurrence of a miracle through the intercession of the Venerable. That is, that God granted a sign that the person is enjoying beatific vision by performing a miracle for which the venerable interceded. So right now, Father Augustus Tolton is a venerable. He will not be able to come blessed Augustus Tolton until there is a miracle that, um, that God worked through him. So, yeah. Um, presently, these miracles are almost always miraculous cures of infirmity because these are the easiest to judge given the church's evidentiary requirements for miracles. For example, a patient was sick with an illness for which no cure was known. Prayers were directed to the venerable. The patient was cured. The cure was spontaneous, instantaneous, complete, and enduring, and physicians cannot discover any natural explanation for the cure. So some people say, Oh, the churches, I mean, they're they're just crazy. They just say anybody can get a miracle and just get two miracles. Big deal. You'll become a saint. Not true. Not true at all. Look at how difficult it is to determine that these miracles are, are real. First of all, the person has to be cured. That's the first thing. They have to be cured. The cure has to be spontaneous, instantaneous. That means it has to happen right away. Complete. They have to be totally and completely cured. Enduring means that they can't just be cured for a day and then it goes away or cured for a year and it goes away. So they actually have to wait a long time to see if the cure is going to last. And physicians cannot discover any natural explanation for the cure. So there are many, many stringent contingents on the miracles. They're not just willy-nilly. Oh, um, venerable, uh, um, (laughs) <laughs> it's venerable. venerable Father Augustus Tolton appeared to me And he said that um, I should be happy Miracle No, no It's more like I had cancer And the, the doctor said I had no hope at all It's in a place where they can't cut it out I prayed to Father Augustus Tolton To ask God to help me And my cancer disappeared Okay The doctors can't find any reason for my cancer disappearing My cancer stayed gone I didn't go back It didn't come back Boom Father Augustus Tolton at that time can become blessed Augustus Tolton. So uh, the satisfaction of the applicable condition permits beatification which then bestows on the Venerable the title of Blessed, Beatus or Beata in Latin. A feast day will be designated, but its observance is ordinarily only permitted for the Blessed's home diocese, to specific locations associated with them or to the churches or houses of the Blessed's religious order if they belong to one. Parishes may not normally be named in honor of a Beati. So moving on to the final step, which is Saint in Latin, Sanctus or Sancta. To be canonized as a saint, ordinarily at least two miracles must have been performed through the intercession of the blessed after their death. But for Beati confessors, um, people who weren't martyrs, only one miracle is required. You know why? Because they already had one miracle to become a blessed. So they only need one more miracle. But a martyr doesn't need to have any miracles to become a blessed. As if you're a martyr, you can automatically become a blessed. So you then need two miracles to become a saint. So, very rarely, a pope may waive the requirement for a second miracle after beatification if the blessed, um, the, if the Sacred College of Cardinals and the Congregation of the Causes of Saints all agree that the blessed lived a life of great merit proven by certain actions. This extraordinary procedure was used in Pope Francis' canonization of Pope John the Twenty-Third. So, Pope John the Twenty-Third did have one miracle, but they waived him needing to have the second miracle because they agreed. That he lived a life of great merit, proven by certain actions. Who um, and Pope John the Twenty-Third convoked the first part of the Second Vatican Council, uh, and that's probably one of the reasons why Pope Francis and the Congregation for the Causes of Saints wanted to canonize him. Canonizations, uh, we have to respect them. And at one point, I was thinking, oh man, this person or that person, maybe they shouldn't have been canonized. But the truth of the matter is, we don't know what happens after they these people leave the earthly realm. And the church is being, uh, We if we believe the church is being led by the Holy Spirit, these canonizations are legit. And those people are in heaven. And uh, whether we believe everything they did on this earth was great or not, we have to, and especially this is coming up right now with the McCarrick Report. I don't like to get too political. I like to be educational on my channel. But this kind of ties in with the McCarrick report. Some people are saying, "Ah, oh, it was too hasty to canonize Pope Saint John Paul II." But the canonization doesn't say that you are perfect. The canonization doesn't say you did everything right. The canonization says that you lived a life of. Let's go back up here. Uh, you, you, a servant of God that is exercise the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, and the cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. It doesn't say that you were perfect. It says that you practice these virtues to a heroic degree, and maybe you screwed up a lot. That's life. So um, what what being a saint really says isn't that the person was perfect, but says that they tried their best through the grace of God to be perfect, and that they are now, based on the church's uh, research, in heaven. Okay. So some people are say, well, you know, they were too hasty to canonize this or that person. But look, you know, that, that's not up to me. That's up to them. That's up to the congregation for the causes of saints. So take it up with them. All right. Um, okay. Canonization is a person certainly enjoys the beatific vision of heaven. And the beatific vision is a theology term, which you might not understand. It's um, the ultimate direct self-communication of God to the individual person so it's basically looking at god and how would that be i don't know i'm not there yet but the saints have it okay the title of saint is then proper reflecting that the saint is a refulgence of the holiness of god himself sanctitas which alone comes from god's gift the saint is assigned a feast day which may be celebrated anywhere in the universal church although it is not necessarily added to the general roman calendar Or local calendars as an obligatory feast. So the saint will have a feast day, but it's not uh, necessary that churches have to celebrate that feast day. They just, as soon as you become a saint, you get a feast day. Churches can celebrate it or not celebrate it as they see fit. Parish churches may be erected in his or her honor, and the faithful may freely celebrate and honor the saint. So um, once you become a saint, you can get churches named after you, and people can freely celebrate and honor you as a saint uh, whenever they feel, all all across the universal church. So, although recognition of sainthood by the Pope does not directly concern a fact of divine revelation, that means God is not revealing it, nonetheless, it must be definitively held by the faithful as infallible pursuant to at least the universal magisterium of the church, okay, because it is a truth related to revelation by historical necessity. So, as Catholics, we should definitively hold that that canonizations are infallible. We should. And this is from um, the doctrinal commentary on the concluding formula of the professio fide. That is by Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who is right now Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. And that is also from uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia, Beatification and Canonization. So read more about that. If you want to read more about canonizations, go to the Catholic en- P- Catholic Encyclopedia and read the Beatification and Canonization article and read the uh, doctrinal commentary on the concluding formula of the Professio Fide by Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. And that's it for the process of canonization. What is it? Basically, it is a way for the church to um, recognize people who lived extremely holy lives, who stayed faithful to faith, hope, and charity, and who were prudent, who were, I need to look at them. (laughs) They were prudent, they practiced justice, they had fortitude, and they were temperate. So these people who lived holy lives are then recognized, and once they're recognized and it is is acceptable, it is made acceptable to the entire Catholic Church that churches may be erected in their honor and people may freely celebrate or honor them. So that is what a canonization is and why it's important. So I hope you learned a little something with this show. And yeah, until next time, stay holy. And God bless. Just wanted to talk a little bit about this so that I could refer back to it when I have other videos because I'm a lot of times I'm in my history videos I'm talking about saints or people who are venerable or servant of God. Now I'll be able to refer back to this particular podcast anytime people are confused about those specific topics. So that's it for now. God bless and stay holy, my friends.